1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode
0: 303. Hi, I'm Michael Port, author of Book Yourself Solid. And if you're looking for a solid and surefire way to rapidly increase the rate of your personal and professional growth, you found it. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my
1: friend, Jeff Brown. Hello, once again, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff Brown, and this is the podcast that, of course, is dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I interview a new author each and every week, and we talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights on things like personal development, leadership, business, marketing, and sales, jobs and career, entrepreneurship, and more. Today, we're joined by Paul Estes. He's author of the book, Gig Mindset. Reclaim your time, reinvent your career, and ride the next wave of disruption. I'll ask Paul to share about how embracing a gig mindset helps you to become a future-proof employee, companies leveraging the gig mindset successfully, Paul's Tide model for leveraging freelancers and VAs, and much more. You don't have to quit your job to live a balanced life, Paul says, or to reskill or unlock new opportunities or start that side hustle you just can't stop thinking about. You just need the gig mindset and Paul is here to help you adopt it. And before we bring Paul on, I want to tell you about a new podcast I recently discovered. If you're a veteran or you know someone who is, you definitely want to check this out. It's called Beyond the Uniform. It's a show to help military veterans navigate their civilian career. Each week, host Justin Nasiri sits down with a different veteran to learn more about their civilian career, how they got there, and what advice they'd give to other military personnel. I recommend you check out episode 325. It's called Clark Kenting your resume with Shannon Gregory. I'll link to it in the show notes at read to lead slash three zero three. Paul Estes is a strong advocate for the gig economy and is dedicated to creating opportunity for everyone, reskilling by doing and bringing diversity to our work. After 20 years of driving innovation for big tech, he transitioned into working as an independent remote freelancer and he shares his insights from main stages as a keynote speaker and offers his thoughts and advice uh, through articles on LinkedIn. Paul's brand new book is called Gig Mindset Reclaim Your Time, Reinvent Your Career, and Ride the Next Wave of Disruption. And Entity shows us how to get a lot more done at work while actually needing a whole lot less time to do it in by leveraging the gig economy. I'm excited to have him and love the book. Paul, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast.
0: Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and Just so you know, we have hit best-selling status in a number of categories on LinkedIn in our, in our launch week, so I'm really excited about the, the outreach and the support for the book so far.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I did not know that. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I want to start with kind of a definition. What is the basic idea that the gig mindset, Paul, embraces exactly?
0: It's a general idea that we're living in a time where technology and everything is moving faster than our ability to sort of absorb it and take advantage of it. And when you think of 7 billion people on the planet, there's all sorts of experts that now technology allows us access to. Mm. And so the idea of, you know, finding where your expertise lies, where your passion lies, where you want to spend your time and how you want to spend your time, whether that's personally or professionally, and how you can still move forward and feel safe in your career and in your life by engaging with experts from around the world is really at the core of what the gig mindset is about.
1: I'm curious to know what started you on this journey, Paul, how was it that you came to be so passionate about spreading the, uh, this way of thinking to, to individuals and to organizations?
0: My aha moment is, is, in the book, but at its essence, you know, my life was out of balance. I have, Two young daughters. My, my wife has a job, and I was you know working as a chief of staff with a bunch of executives, which is a, a fairly stressful position at large companies like Microsoft. And I didn't want to let down my family. I didn't want to let down my job. Mm. But I but I knew there wasn't balance. I, I, I knew something was broken because I wasn't doing either of them justice. And and then I think about you know how I wanted to take care of myself and. A friend of mine who had a startup who was balancing all sorts of things, family and life, and a startup, uh, told me to reach out to a virtual assistant. And he had a virtual assistant for a long period of time that he's worked with. And I took that recommendation, and it opened my eyes up to a brand new way of living and a brand new way of working. And as I started to engage with more freelancers on all sorts of projects, I was learning as I was going. I was getting excited because <laughs> I was dealing with some people that really inspired me. You know, the way they work inspired me. Their stories, because these are personal relationships, inspired me. And so it opened me up to a an amazing, diverse set of people to to work with and, and help me find my balance and, and succeed.
1: Well, you, you touched on something a moment ago I want to dig into a little further, and that is how does embracing a gig mindset specifically, maybe some examples, help you to become a future-proof employee in, in your experience?
0: I think one of the things on my personal journey is that when I started working with all of these freelancers, I, it opened my eyes to how static my learning had become. I hadn't pushed myself, that I was you know, working with people that found a new way to work. You know, I found a new way to engage uh, and really hone in their value, to perfect their expertise, and then to make sure that that value and expertise was available to lots of people. I had spent a lot of time showing up to work and, and going to meetings, and, and I I talk a lot about my distaste for meetings in the book as well. <laughs> and I think I started to feel that I was wasting a lot of time, you know, in this mm. world where, you know, you need to have a growth mindset, that you need to continually be learning I didn't have time to do that. I was sitting in meetings and, and wasting 60 to 70% of my day, whether it was driving to the office and all of those things. And so I felt an acute need to lean in and start doing projects in a new way. And the model that we'll talk about in a little while is sort of me helping educate people on this new way of working.
1: Mm. I guess in part because I've been out of the traditional workforce for almost seven years, I was not aware of the extent to which companies were leveraging gig workers i kind of have always thought about it as you know solopreneurs leveraging vas by and large what would be some examples paul of, of companies doing that successfully and, and maybe if you can describe exactly how they're doing that
0: yeah i mean you know you said something very important which is you know tim Ferriss's book four-hour work week was an amazing book i i hmm. you know read it uh, about a year and a half ago again uh when i was, when I was writing this book but he was really focused on solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. And what I found is I'm a third-generation company man. You know, I've worked in big tech at, at Dell and Microsoft and, and Amazon. And so I wasn't an entrepreneur trying to figure out how to scale my business. I was someone in a large company trying to figure out how to get the company's work done in an innovative way, knowing that we had constraints, whether it was the right resources, whether it was budget constraints and all of those things. And so when I look at companies, you know, Microsoft is a a good example, and we even launched something called the Microsoft 365 Freelance Toolkit to help companies who have Microsoft technology start working in this new way. But there are all sorts of scenarios where bringing in freelance experts to do, whether it's content for videos, whether it was development, whether it was, you know, helping with executive presentations, uh, all sorts of scenarios. Procter & Gamble is another example. Mm. Uh, They work with uh, Upwork. Uh, There's a company, TopTal, that, you know, has a great video on how the Cleveland Cavaliers engage with freelance uh, talent as they were transforming their fan experience. You know, they only have, I forgot how many thousands of people that they can fit in the arena, but they have millions of fans around the world and they were digitally transforming that experience. And there's also a video on their site for Bridgestone, how Bridgestone had pulled in some project managers, designers, uh, and developers to really accelerate one of their projects and so there's there's all sorts of companies that are starting to say, hey, I have a bunch of full-time employees and a talent base, but how do I reach out to independent contractors or freelancers and really accelerate the work that I'm doing by getting that expertise on demand? Uh,
1: often with mindset issues in general, there is a process of kind of resetting your defaults, which is a phrase you use in the book. What do you mean in this context when you say we need to reset our, our defaults?
0: Well, right. And I was dealing with this, actually, this morning, I need to do it myself. And so there was, there's lots of people that I talk to often who are busy, who are stressed out, who are not performing their best personally, uh, at home with their families or at work. Yet, if you go and talk to them, they're like, well, there's nothing I can give up because I need to do it. I, I feel that I have the responsibility. And while I understand that, you then also have to say, well, you might not be the expert that can do all of those things. Mm. Uh, and so I had to start giving up control. You know, my my default is to ask myself, where's the most valuable time for me to spend my efforts, right? And sometimes that's with my girls, you know, on on a sunny day here in Seattle, which happens very rarely, you know, that time is probably not best spent in doing X, Y, and Z, but rather outside, you know, whether it's exercising or or with my girls, because we get very little sunshine. So I, I think when I talk about resetting your default is really asking yourself that question, Is this something I really need to do or should I start experimenting, working with others and building a system around getting this done in not only a more efficient manner, but maybe even in a better manner because I'm engaging with the right expert who's got either the technology or the expertise to deliver it better? And
1: faster. I want to dig now, Paul, into your, your TIDE model, T I D E, being a mnemonic for, for Paul's uh, a process here. Starting with the first one, of course, Taskify. Describe that process, if you would. What might that look like, too, if uh, we had a specific goal, say, to deliver a, a presentation to an executive team?
0: Yeah. So. I started seeing a pattern emerge as I was talking to more and more people that were trying to figure this out. They would engage with a freelancer, have a wonderful experience, but then say, what do I do next? How do I you know, start using this to accelerate or solve whatever constraint or problem that they were facing? And so when you think of the TIDE model, it is taskify, identify, delegate, which is that part of you learning how to give up control, you learning how to work with people that may not have shared contact. And then evolve. How do I put those practices into continuous learning? And so, uh, for your example, if I were to go and do an executive presentation, you know, the first thing that I would do is get research. And so I have a lot of freelance researchers and uh, platforms that I use, whether it's research on the audience as well as the topic and the market and everything else. And so I have an amazing researcher, COSER, who I use quite often. And he does amazing research as we start to take on uh, new initiatives. And that's before either presentation is even done, you know, trying to get as smart as I can, mm-hmm. quickly as I can on the topic. The other is researching the audience. So I think one of the things that, you know, I learned through my process is as I talk to executive teams, or maybe I do a keynote or even talking to you, I actually had a virtual assistant pull up some of your information just to understand mm-hmm. who you were in the podcast. Um, the second is, Data insights. So maybe there's a bunch of data you want, you know, and they can either get a virtual assistant to help find the data or have somebody crunch the data and stuff like that. I'd find another expert that maybe does design, whether it's video, which is very impactful in presentations, and/or graphics, Mm. Uh, narrative writers. I have a, a ton of writers on my team and have used many writers in in writing articles, who are experts at narrative writing. I am not an expert writer, but I have frameworks and thoughts and, and things that I want to get out there. And so I, I rely on that. Uh, and then if you're you know, very fortunate, getting somebody to help you with a presentation coach, the old thing that said, people are more scared of getting up in front of an audience than they are of spiders and hurricanes and volcanoes
1: and
0: <laughs> things like that. And so I've relied a number of times as I've done keynotes and stuff on speaking coaches uh, who really just help you hone the ability to make the presentation land with the audience. I just explained how we took a presentation and broke it down into its parts. I explained how we identified the right type of expert for each of those tasks. The book starts to talk about how do you delegate. Now, instead of me sitting here trying to figure all this out, I'm now working with a bunch of different people. And then as you practice this, you just get better and better at, at your system,
1: as, as you broke that down, there were some steps you shared that I don't know that I had even thought of. Is it safe to assume that as you take a, a task uh, or, or a project, I should say, and begin uh, whittling it down to its baby steps, that when you first start out and, and handing this stuff off to other people, you're going to miss some things, right? You're going to make some mistakes, and you just need to be okay with that, right?
0: Yeah, you you actually bring up a really important point. I think. Some people break the glass or pull the emergency switch when they're in a, a pinch. Like, oh, I've got this really important deadline-driven thing to my boss or my executive team. Let me start learning now. And I never, <laughs> I, I never encourage people to start in that moment you know, because there was a, a good year, and this is why I wanted to share the learning so people can hopefully shortcut some of this, where I was just trying all sorts of things. You know, just, just learning to see what worked, building my process, you know, building my network of, of freelancers. I probably have 50 or so freelancers in my network, but that's off of a pool of hundreds of people that I've done projects with over the past three years. And so when you start building that context, when you start building how you work and expectations and how you communicate, you're putting value into that relationship. And so you want to be able to reap that value and, and continue that partnership on those different parts of a project, but it does take some, some experimentation. Mm. Uh, And I think, you know, everybody talks about the importance of failure, but it's not until you start doing it and and overcome that idea that failure is bad. And I think this gives you, like you said, baby steps of ways to go and experiment, you know, go do a $5 project, a $10 project and start with those small ones and treat it as if you're going back to school, Mm. treat it as learning, new skills that are going to help you out later uh, instead of some massive project. And that's why I think taskification is it takes the cost of failure and learning down from having to do a big thing, right? Of Having to go and sign up for a university class that's thousands and thousands of dollars. You can go do a ton of projects and reskill yourself real time.
1: I love that advice. Better that I have five months to prepare for that presentation and begin using uh, gig workers then versus five days, say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, over the course of as you build your skill set, as you build your network, that, hey, I need something tomorrow or that I need something in two days becomes, hey, I got it. And it'll be high quality and it'll be on demand.
1: Hmm. Well, you mentioned delegation being one of the toughest parts of this process. I know that's certainly something I identify with. What are some of the more common excuses you hear about why others don't want to delegate and, and how do you typically respond to those?
0: Yeah, I, I think the challenge with delegation is you have to know what you want up front. You mm-hmm. know, and sometimes you're, you're learning in the process. And, you know, when I started delegating, I would get stuff back and I'd be like frustrated that the person didn't provide <laughs> what I wanted what was in my head. And then I realized that, you know, they can't read minds yet. People can't <laughs> read minds yet. And so I had to really build into my process, me writing down my expectations, where I was, what I was thinking, the things that were inspiring me, giving context. Cause when you give that to another human when you give all of that stuff and you say, Hey, take your expertise and make this better. It's extremely powerful mm-hmm. when you don't give the context in the delegation it makes it a very unfulfilling experience on, on both sides of the equation. And so I found that taking the time up front, while it does take a little more time, saves you a bunch of time on the back end of getting a project done. And that's, that's on all projects, whether you're working with freelancers or not. I think we sometimes don't go and find a quiet space to really write down what we're trying to accomplish. And that makes it hard to communicate to anyone that we, we collaborate with, whether it's freelancers or not. It, it just happens to be much more important when you start working with freelancers that don't have shared contacts, and you're sort of building that network.
1: Mm. Well, we've talked about Taskify, Identify. We've talked about Delegate. The, the fourth step in Paul's uh, TIDE model is Evolve. And I love an analogy he uses when he talks about how to gradually evolve to this way of thinking. Um, uh, thinking of yourself as the pilot of an airplane is, is what we typically do. But he says you instead want to think of yourself as the air traffic controller. You're the conductor of the orchestra, in other words. Can, can you expound on, on that thought process?
0: Yeah, I tell a great story in the book uh, about a video editor who used to make one or, or two videos a week and at six every month. And he was a pilot. He was somebody that was very creative. He was a perfectionist. He was amazing at his job. And he created this video asset that everybody wanted more of. They were engaging, they were performing from a business perspective, but he didn't scale. And so the question is, when you wanted to create 10x of his output, what do you do? And so. You know, it was one of those things that as he went through this change, as he adopted the gig mindset, as he started leaning into the model, he went from being a video editor to a creative director, which is the same as the analogy of the the pilot, the air traffic controller. Mm. And now he had a network of freelancers working around the world, 24 and 7 in the U.S. and around the world, and he was able to 10x his output. But for him, it was as much of a fundamental mindset shift as it was getting his work done in a different way. There were tactical parts of the work, but he himself had to get into a a mindset of really adopting this new model.
1: I can't remember if it was it was the same person or someone else in the book you talked about. Sort of getting past the idea that no, they're not the only person in the world who can do this thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a, another designer that I was once talking to, saying, "Hey, you know, you have a constraint; you can't get all the work done that's on your plate. We need your help." And he said, "Well, I have to do this work." And I was like, "Well, why?" Because well, I'm the only person that can. <laughs> and I remember asking him, saying. There's 7 billion people on the planet, and, and you believe you're the only person that can get this certain task done. And uh, we had a conversation, and, and eventually he started to understand that this mindset is not designed to replace him. Mm. It's designed to really expand the influence of the work that he's doing, and you just change what you're doing.
1: It's, it's like suddenly you can have superpowers.
0: <laughs> I, I, in very many ways, you do have superpowers. It's like if I'm able to wake up every day and, and know that I have fifty amazing experts that I've I've done projects with over time, I'm only limited by what I what I want to create. Mm. You know, and it's kind of an exciting thing to, to think about. Like I've always wanted to write a book, as you read in the book. I use a process that is very much part of the gig mindset uh, to create that book. My podcast, The Talent Economy, is all done with a process with freelancers. And so these things that were before not within reach for me became possible by by thinking of a new way to engage with experts.
1: Well, Paul, I've got a couple of questions to ask that aren't directly related to the book. But uh, before I do that, I want to make sure to give you a chance to share anything else from the book that you want to make sure that we uh, know about and walk away with.
0: You think one of the things that's resonated with a lot of people that I've talked to and who've read the book is things are changing. You know, I've, I've been in tech and things are changing fast. Mm. And I, I think sometimes we don't know how to approach it. And I, I hope that this, this book is something that provides a view into what's, going to, what's already happening now and, and what's going to happen in the next five years, but a positive look on how to embrace it and, and treat it as an opportunity.
1: Even though you may be more of a book summary reader than an actual book reader, I'm just kidding. Um, I want you to. <laughs> maybe you are. I don't know. Uh, think about uh, the books that you have read over the course of your career, Paul, that have had an impact on you. And, and if you don't mind, share how they've impacted you.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple that come to mind. Uh, one is Give Work by Lila Jana, and you know as I started to really think about the changes that are happening with knowledge work and, and the globalization of knowledge work. She wrote a very powerful book. Uh, she's CEO of a company called Samosource. And it made me think of the importance of humans' need and desire to provide value mm-hmm. and the importance of giving work and the importance of every project I do with every freelancer as something that's not only helping them skill, but but work is work and value is kind of what we want to do. And she does a lot of work with people in Africa and talks about how, you know, moving people from a dollar a day to three dollars a day, well in the Western world, may not seem that impactful, but transforms lives because they're being digitally trained as they're they're moving into to the middle class. And so it was a powerful book for me. Another one that comes to mind is Dying for a Paycheck mm. uh, by Jeffrey Pfeiffer over at Stanford. And there's something going on in the country around our wellness. I mean, that's why you see, you know, a lot of companies now hiring directors of wellness and, mm. and all these, you know, apps that are telling us to meditate and digitally detox and stuff. And he really talks about the personal toll that this way of working that we are currently executing on can have. Mm. We have a, a way of working that was built, as everyone says, you know, the nine to five was, was Henry Ford's idea, you know, in that in that era. And in many ways, our, our structures and, our, and the way we work are built for that, not for the flexibility and how busy our lives have become and the complexity of our lives. And so the book really frames for me and something that I'm going to spend this year really thinking about. We're living in different times. How do we adjust the way we work personally for our organizations, for our companies, and really start to implement those changes because our health depends on it. And so that's a really, it's a personal book for me and I'm, I love it. And then Unlearned. Uh, Barry O'Reilly wrote a book, Unlearn, and he's got a great framework in that book on the things that we need to unlearn. Because if, if you're going to change, if you're going to evolve, if you're going to want to live better or differently, there's things that you have to unlearn. And sometimes I don't think we spend as much time thinking about those things as much as you know what changes we need to make.
1: I think you just hit the uh, never been recommended by a previous guest before book trifecta.
0: I I do read full books. uh, And I I was reading. uh, But before I started writing this book, I spent a year and a half reading a book every two weeks. Mm. And then when you're writing a book, it's hard to continue to read because every book, then you go back and revisit your manuscript and want to make changes. And so Mm. now I'm back to reading uh, every two weeks.
1: I know you're speaking on, on the gig mindset topic all the time, and I'd be curious, Paul, specifically to know about how that process has evolved from when you first started speaking about it to maybe more recently and what you've identified that you could improve along the way to make it more impactful and memorable.
0: I think the, the big step for me, Jeff, was the willingness to be vulnerable, You know, mm. the willingness for me to tell a story about, and, I, and I'm going to do more of this in, in some upcoming things, about the struggles that I have. With working, my career has not been perfect. It has not been a linear line. I've, there's been you know, a lot of challenges that that were me growing and learning uh, my profession. A lot of challenges from organizations that were evolving and and dealing with people who didn't feel safe. You know, and organizations that were you know being disrupted. And so, I think the the thing that I've learned, and I I hope I can continue, is just to share my personal story and share the learnings from my personal story as I see it and really spend the time to do the research and find others to unlock the value of those stories. And um, Mm. that's something that I think I was good at at the beginning and I hope to be getting better and better at because human stories and being vulnerable are the things that connect with other people. And so I I try to be true to that path.
1: Well, apart from the book, Paul, what's up next or on the horizon for for you and your team that's got you excited?
0: Well, we have an amazing... 2020 ahead of us. I'm editor in chief of uh, staffing.com mm. and it's a thought leadership website that we launched top towel, in November. Uh, and we're just catching our stride and have a bunch of exciting things there. Uh, the guest list for the talent economy podcast uh, is impressive this year. We, again, we started that in November. We've got some great episodes out uh, and we'll be hitting the road to a number of different important events this year, uh, as well as in internationally in London and some, some other places. And we have some exciting partnerships, which I'd love to be able to tell you about, but I can't. (laughs) That'll that'll be announced as well.
1: Yes. (laughs) The name of the book, again, is Gig Mindset, Reclaim Your Time, Reinvent Your Career, and Ride the Next Wave of Disruption. His name is Paul Estes. Real treat, Paul. Thank you again so much for appearing on the podcast and sharing with us what you've learned about this process.
0: Thanks for having me, Jeff.
1: If you are ready to re-energize your work, then the gig mindset... Is what you need. It's available now where you buy your favorite books. A link to this book, of course, is in the show notes, along with the other books and resources Paul recommended. Those can be found at read to slash 303 for episode 303. Have a suggestion, question, feedback, or a comment about the Read to Lead Podcast? Send me an email, Jeff at com. And remember, if you or someone you know is a military 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 veteran, be sure and check out Beyond the Uniform with Justin Nasiri. A link to that podcast is also in the show notes. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.